Paul's second letter to Timothy. Um, second Timothy will be in chapter 1, and we'll, we, will, we will read verses 3 through 14. Uh, if you're using one of the church's Bibles underneath the chair uh, near you, it should be on page 995. So turn there with me if you would. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember you with tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Thank you, Cody. Now, I just had him read in 2 Timothy, but actually we are this morning going to finish up our study in 1 Timothy. Um, our, the, the common practice of our church is to select a, a, a book of the Bible and systematically walk our way through it, and we are today at the end of 1 Timothy. Who here can guess when we started this study? 1999, just a smidge off. Um, we would have been going like through syllable by syllable if that was the case. Um, actually, we started this last year, July 17th, so we're under a year. This is going to be the 24th sermon on this text. Um, and I don't know if you're like me, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit nostalgic, but I, when we come to an end, uh, a book of the Bible and we kind of come to the end of it, I, I kind of feel like I'm going to miss it a little bit. Is that just me? Um, maybe I'm weird. I guess so. Um, but, you know, you, f- you feel like you're going to be saying goodbye to an old friend, but that's, that's ridiculous because um, we can pick this up and we can read it for ourselves um, next week. And guess what? Um, probably something new will pop out of the pages that, at us as we, um, as the Spirit works and illumines new things to us. So um, let us pray as we begin um, this conclusion to First Timothy. Lord, give us grace this morning that we would both be hearers and doers of your word. And may our obedience in both listening and living bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Do you like giving advice? Chances are you would probably say yes. Uh, One quote on advice is that there is nothing men are so generous of as advice. But what about receiving advice? Do you like to receive instruction? Um, You probably are thinking that you couldn't possibly answer that question because first you need to know if it's good or bad advice. Plus, you would very much like to know who the instruction is coming from. Do they know what in the world they are talking about? Back in my early college days, um, I received some very interesting advice while being employed at a very miserable job. For many young people, they utilized their college experience to to springboard them into um, their chosen profession. I, on the other hand, think my college experience um, was more useful to show me all the things that I didn't want to spend my life doing. Not only am I not utilizing my, my professional teaching degree, I'm also not engaged in any of the odd part-time jobs that I was employed at during my time in college. I did have some odd jobs. I was a a pizza maker at Sabatini's, a deli worker at Wegmans where I I first tasted and fostered my love of rice pudding, Um, a grunt laborer at a subpar golf course, a dishwasher in the college cafeteria, a parking attendant slash snow removal expert slash errand runner at Jennings Calvi Funeral Home, and a a shelf stocker, third shift at Target. But it was at another job at a company called Hayband, where I received this very interesting advice. Hayband was a a clothing company uh, that sent out catalogs to mostly elderly people. Yes, some of you younger folks are saying, that happens? It it did, and I think it still does. And my job was, I had the distinct pleasure of taking orders from those people over the telephone. Anyway, during one of my shifts, um, actually, that was actually, that's not accurate because most of the calls were inquiring about the status of the free gift that was supposed to come with the order. The free gift was always on back order. Never order something for the free gift. But um, during one of my miserable shifts, I took a call from a very nice older lady And as we began to talk, it became very clear that she did not have much of a desire to place an order, but she did instead want to keep me on the line as long as possible and use this opportunity to impart all of her earthly, worldly wisdom on this young man. She went a little bit further and said that she was a psychic and was able to, just by the sound of my voice, uh, read my fortune for me, tell me my future. To say the least, it was a very interesting experience. Now, do you, want, do you want to know what she told me? Your guess is as good as mine. I have absolutely no remembrance of one thing that she told me um, on that phone call many years ago. Now, is that because of I ha- I've had some kind of brain trauma or I have a terrible memory? No, I don't think so. I, I remember many things from my college days. I remember many important things that my grandparents told me during those years about Um, life and and how to live your life. I'm not a brain expert, but I think our brains are very effective in figuring out what is important and what and should be stored for quick quick retrieval. It is also very effective in in determining what information is not important and the files, those trivial files, into things that will eventually be and quickly deleted. 
I think there's a couple reasons why I don't remember anything she said. And I, I'm being honest with you. I don't remember one thing. Because there was no relationship. And when it came down to it, she had no authority. I never talked to this person before. And I've never talked to her since. I knew nothing about her other than that her name and she was calling to supposedly place an order. Also, I put no trust in her psychic abilities that she proclaimed she had. So I disregarded her, her instruction and have long forgotten what she said. As Daryl laid out at the beginning of this study, and I would encourage you to, I actually went back and listened to his first sermon on this study from July 17th of last year. Um, this is a letter to, first, to, to Timothy from Paul giving much instruction on how he should minister for the Lord. Now, the question is, should Timothy listen to this instruction? Now, do Paul and Timothy have a deep relationship? Does Paul have authority to give this instruction? The answer to both of these questions is absolutely. So back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and actually uh, this is kind of mirrored in the passage that Cody just read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, we see in the, the opening of this letter, um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, no, actually, in verse 1, Paul, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of the Lord, of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Um, to Timothy, my, two, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here Paul states uh, the basis for his authority as an apostle of Jesus by the command of God. He is writing down God's words, so I think he checks the box for authority. Also, he and Timothy had a deep relationship. Verse 2, Paul refers to Timothy as his true child in the faith. Timothy is his spiritual son. We first met Timothy back in Acts 16 when Paul traveled to Lystra on his second missionary journey. Timothy was described as a disciple who was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He then traveled with Paul until he urged, until Paul urged Timothy to remain at Ephesus so that, he, uh, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to, to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Well, that was in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4. Now here at the end of this letter, chapter 6, verse 20, Paul begins his conclusion by speaking to Timothy in a fatherly way when he says, O Timothy. That's how close people talk. Um, I'm going to greet people as you leave today, and I probably won't say, O Paul. That's, now, I love Paul, but he is, but that is, that's a different relationship, right? When you say, oh, now, if I talk to my son, Paul, I would say, O Paul. Um, but here, um, this is a, a fatherly expression. A, a commentator named Guy King in his book about this epistle says, O Timothy, all the deep affection of his heart is in the syllables as he, bre- as he breathes them out, almost as a cry. His loving care for his pupil and protege, his realization of the dangers to which he will be exposed, his comprehension of the immense spiritual possibilities of his position, all these combine to fill this cry with utmost urgency. How he longs that his young Timothy should have the best, do the best, be the best for God. So I hope to this point, 
that I've laid out pretty effective reasons why Timothy should listen to Paul's instructions. But I think before we work through these last couple of verses, we should establish why we must also listen to Paul's instruction. While none of us have met Paul, we can truly feel that we know him as we read through the New Testament. A pretty good chunk of the New Testament is written um, by Paul. We learn about his experiences, his challenges, his victories, and his passion. His apostolic authority should also be convincing for us, and the fact that this letter is in the canon of Scripture should be ultimately convincing that we should listen to Paul's instruction. From 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a very well-known verse, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may may be complete, equipped for every good work. Also, if you need to hear one more reason to hear Paul, he ends this letter with a phrase that says, Grace be with you. Now, the you that ends this letter is plural. Paul knew that this letter would not only be read by Timothy, but also be read by the church. So as one commentator states, the, the plural you in Greek implies that Paul had the church in mind when, he, when writing 1 Timothy. So Grace Hill in Merton, Wisconsin, we are included in that you. Now that you are hopefully fully convinced that you should listen to Paul's instructions as he closes this letter, what does he say? So verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Now let's not forget our context. Last week, as verses 17 through 19 were discussed, the topic was, you remember? 17 through 19? Just chill it out. Money, right? Riches. There was instruction to rich people. Now here, as, as Paul begins his final conclusion, he uses some banking terminology, does he not, when he uses the word deposit. But he is no longer talking about finances. Before we get into what the deposit is, let us first mention how it should be guarded. The Greek word that is used here is phulasso, which means to guard, defend, watch over, protect. The impression that is given is that of a very active guarding. Um, Believe it or not, from my current state, um, I played a lot of basketball growing up in my younger years. Now, being a good defender has very little to do with natural talent. Instead, it takes constant effort, solid technique, and great intensity to achieve success as a defender. Uh, Steve Wojciechowski, the former coach at Marquette, um, during his playing days, uh, his co- college career at Duke was known as a great defender. I think he was the national, like the best defender in the, in the country a couple of years. Um, and he had this thing he would do, and it wasn't, it wasn't started by him, but he became a, it became very kind of popular after he started doing it. Um, during particularly intense moments of, in games, as the offensive player was dribbling the ball towards him, he would squat down and slap the floor with both hands. Now, while this action was rather obnoxious, but he, was, he played for Duke, so it was, that's just what they do, um, it did give a very clear impression of how that defender was going to guard his opponent. He was not being lackadaisical. He was not going to sit back and just let the action come to him. He was going to be active. He was going to defend actively. 
And that is how Paul is telling Timothy and us to guard the deposit. We need to be active guards. Now, what is the deposit entrusted to you? The Greek word Paul uses is paratheke, which one commentator states, it literally denotes a putting with, and so refers to a, de- to a deposit, which is anything entrusted to the care of another for safekeeping, a trust or something consigned or committed to another's charge for faithful keeping. This practice was, practice was common in days when there were no banks. The picture Paul is painting is drawn from this practice of one person trusting another with some precious deposit to be kept for a time and then restored intact. But instead of a deposit of money, the deposit that was entrusted to Paul was the gospel. Back in chapter 1 of this book, we start, we, uh, let's read and start uh, in verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the, un- for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuali- homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. So God entrusted the deposit, the deposit of the gospel to Paul, and now Paul has passed the truth, that truth, on to Timothy. So let's keep reading down in uh, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing, to, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that, is in, that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good, and a good conscience. So the deposit talked about here is literally the gospel and all the apostolic teaching which is based on the gospel. So as Paul is concluding this letter, he is telling Timothy to actively defend all the things that he has taught him. Why? Well, as we keep reading in verse 20 here back in chapter 6, there's additional instruction. He says, Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. The, the, the deposit needs to be guarded because it is under attack. Paul is telling Timothy to avoid these things. The Greek word is in a present tense, present tense which means that Timothy is to continually keep tr- turning away, um, turning himself away and avoiding irreverent babble and contradictions. So it's like a continual process. I, as I was working on this, typing this up yesterday, um, I've got an almost three-year-old, and he, throughout the whole afternoon, was saying... It's due, mommy. It's due. 
is doing, Mommy? He's constantly asking Elaine what, he's, what, what she's doing. She's doing the dishes. She's changing his diaper. She's doing all these things. But it's constant. It's continual. Well, that's kind of the, 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 what we should, how we should think of this, this constant avoiding, constant turning away um, from doing things that are contrary to the gospel. It is an ongoing process to turn away from these things. Uh, one commentary remarks, the words irreverent babble and contradiction suggest that which is void of all connection with or relation to God. There is nothing sacred about their empty chatter, which is without usefulness in building up one another spiritually. It is devoid of any divine or spiritual character and is fruitless as far as the satisfaction of men's need of salvation and the molding of Christian character. These profane babblings are unholy, empty discourses having sound without substance, dealing with the subjects that lack solid worth rather than those that are serious and weighty. Now, there are multiple examples of irreverent babble and contradictions having disastrous effects here at the Ephesian church that we, we re- kind of learned about as we studied 1 Timothy. At the end of chapter 1, we, we learn of Hymenaeus and Alexander who rejected the truth and have made a shipwreck of their faith. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul writes that in later times, some have, will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincere insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Then as we continue in verse 7 of that chapter, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Then here in the, the beginning of chapter 6, in verse 3, we, we read about, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant, conf- constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness, that is a mean, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So in these examples, um, these individuals rejected the truth of the gospel, adding things, added things to the gospel, and twisted the gospel for their own gain. And here in verse 20 again, Timothy is told to avoid these things, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Some commentators believe that Paul is specifically referring to the group known as the Gnostics, who claim to have a special spiritual relationship, a special spiritual knowledge from visions, from visions and other experiences. They also claim to have hidden truths in the Old Testament scriptures, especially the genealogies. They considered matter to be evil, and they taught that a series of emanations connected God with man. Jesus Christ, they said, was, the only, was only the greatest of these emanations. Um, the Gnostics had a doctrine that was a strange mixture of Christian, Oriental myth, uh, mysticism, Greek philosophy, and Jewish legalism. Now, other commentators disagree that he is singling out one particular heretical group, but is in a more general way speaking against all false teachers. False teachers all proclaim to have some kind of special knowledge, 
but they are just flattering themselves because they are in reality just rejecting the truth. Knowledge which is disconnected from the truth is false teaching. This irreverent babble, this false teaching, this knowledge devoid of truth is what led many astray in in Paul and Timothy's day and in ours. Uh, If we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, this is what Cody just read, it says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. The imagery of gangrene is not a pretty picture, is it? False teaching spreads and causes death to faith. That is why throughout this letter, Paul repeatedly is speaking out against false teaching. That is why it is so important to guard the gospel which has been been entrusted to us. As I was doing some online research over the last few weeks preparing for this sermon, um, you you kind of do like this, you you Google this, and before you know it, you're over here. Um, I somehow ended up on a website full of comments that people have made who have deconverted or deconstructed. Many of the posts stated that the knowledge that they received at college, from podcasts, from books, and from themselves was no longer compatible with their Christian faith. Instead of guarding their minds and defending their faith, they threw it all away, and now they truly are free to live the life they want to live and believe how they want to believe. It was a truly sad and discouraging read. Deconversion or deconstruction is thought to be a a recent phenomenon But that is only because it's popular to do on social media. But as we see from this study in 1 Timothy, it is nothing new and it is is tragic. And it is something that we must actively guard against. Now there is one more aspect of guarding the deposit entrusted us that kind of breaks from the banking terminology mentioned earlier, but also kind of doesn't. Let me explain. When I was a kid depositing my money in my first savings account, I, for some reason, thought that when it was left my hands and went to the banker, it went into the vault and just sat on a shelf or just kind of sat in my account somehow and never was touched. Is that what happens? No. The bank takes my money and then spreads, it, spreads out those funds in all kinds of different investments, don't they? They do that because then the bank can make money and then I can get my little measly point point. or whatever percent interest. So my money, while being safe, is out there in the economy working, is it not? Um, Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Start in chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good good deposit entrusted to you. Now go down to chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will will be able to teach others also. This is how the gospel, or this is how the deposit of the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads. It was entrusted to Paul from God, and then he entrusted it to Timothy, who then entrusted it to faithful men 
who that entrusted it to others, and so it goes on and on. That is, that's why we are here today at Grace Hill in Merton, Wisconsin, worshiping our great God together. We have been entrusted with the great news of the gospel. It is truly our duty to guard it vigorously and spread it freely. Now, before, before we finish up, I just like to take just a, so what is the gospel? I've said it many times this morning, and I think it's important just to say, in my, I guess my own words, I might be, but the gospel is good news. Now, it's good news that starts with bad news, doesn't it? The bad news is we have a problem. The problem that we have is sin. We are uh, sinners by nature and by practice. We, we We are born sinners, and then we continue to sin. And without some kind of intervention, we have a massive problem that leads to death. Death equals sin. But God in his great wisdom, for his glory, made a way to restore our relationship. See, he is holy, I am not. So for us to have a relationship, um, there had to be something that would take place to restore that, and I can't do it. There's nothing I can do, there's nothing you can do that can can restore to, to take care of our sin and bring us back into relationship with Jesus, with God. And so God, in his great wisdom, sent his son to die on the cross. That's what we celebrated on Good Friday. And then on Easter, we talked about his resurrection. He, he died on the cross for the sins, and then he rose again, conquering death. So therefore, as someone who, that he has chosen and and who, who, has, who believes in him and has repented of my sins, I can now have a restored relationship with Jesus, with God, and I can have hope that, there is, that, that I will have life eternally with him. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is what must be guarded. That is what we cannot lose. That is what we must spread to our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we meet. Um, And as Paul's final closing states, grace be with you, let us have God's favor as we seek to keep the faith and instruct others in the gospel. So, that's 1 Timothy. Let's not be strangers of this book, uh, but instead return often to become reacquainted with its short but powerful um, instruction. Let's not treat its instructions as I as I treat the instructions from that lady many years ago on the phone. Let's not disregard them. Let's not forget its instruction. By God's grace, we will hear, believe, change, grow, and spread the gospel throughout our world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for for how it is so clear and it speaks so practically to us. And Lord, I pray that as we as a church um, just keep going with our mission of of spreading your great name in this community, I pray that we would um, do that well, that we would um, guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us, that we would avoid the things that distract, that, that that lead people away from the true knowledge of the gospel, and that we would, um, by your great power, um, just be very effective in our mission to do that. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with all of us as we leave. I pray that um, we would have good um, fellowship as we, as we are dismissed and that we 
Uh, would you just keep us safe and bring us back once again together in your name. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our closing songs. <laughs>